Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And then uh, put a marker in Luke 18. Philippians 3 and Luke 18. Has anyone noticed that the world is going crazy? Has anyone noticed that? Things that seem to be up are down. and I, the, the one that just has, oh, a couple of things that have really been on my mind. How many of you saw on the news that the Mozilla Foxfire company, their CEO, had to resign because he gave money to support traditional marriage? How many of you saw that? If you're not familiar with it, the, this major internet company, their CEO, uh, six years ago gave money to Proposition 8, $1,000, to help Proposition 8, which was a traditional marriage amendment for the state of California. Because of that, the, these gay rights activists, they started protesting, and Mozilla said that we believe in tolerance, so we have to fire this guy. The world's crazy. The world is crazy. Um, the, the, the Christ that is presented to the world, uh, when, when you think of, of Christmas, and I love Christmas season. How many of you like Christmas season? I love it. How many days till Christmas? How many shopping days till Christmas? Does anybody know? I, I really do love Christmas season, and yet the Christ of the Bible is generally not the person that is spoken of in the Christmas specials. And so, we, and, and children hate it when that happens. <laughs> um, when you look at the world, the longer we live in this world, the, the more we understand. Listen, the longer we live in this world, the more we understand that the Christ of the Bible is the opposite of the Christ that is presented in the world. Now, the Bible tells us this would happen. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3. And look at verse 17. The Bible says, Brethren, be followers together of me. So this is Paul writing. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. So Paul said, okay, you've seen the way that I live. You see what I teach. So look out among you and people who teach and live like I did, mark them and follow them as an ensample. Um, an ensample is an example that is present with you. An example is one from the past or something that is not with you. An ensample is one that's near. So Paul says to mark those that are near you. So young people. I tell you this all the time. Um, we have people in this room that are as smart and well-educated as any, any, any people in the world. We have very accomplished people in this room who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who live for the Lord. We have people that would not consider themselves highly educated. And yet, they're some of the most valuable people in our community. They're productive. They're faithful. They're godly people that you can watch. They're in samples. Mark them and look for them. It's wonderful to have heroes in your own community, isn't it? To have people around you that you can look up to. That's a fantastic thing. That's what Paul is telling this church at Philippi to do. 
But now, look at what he says. Here's why he says that. Verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Can you imagine anybody being an enemy of the cross of Christ? What was the purpose of the cross of Christ? It was to pay the sin debt for every person in the world. He died on the cross for everybody. He tasted death for every man, the Bible says. Who would be an enemy of that? Isn't that an interesting question? Who in their right mind would be an enemy of that? Look at the next verse. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, who mind earthly things. So what is this? These are people who, whether politically or religiously, and in the context Paul is dealing with all of those things, who either politically or religiously oppose the cross of Christ, they do it for their own belly. They do it for their own benefit, so they can have more, so that they can be in control. But the Bible says that their end is destruction. Now, can you imagine? you got a map. I'm, I'm driving to New York today, all right? So when church is over, I'm going to load up the car. I'm going to drive to New York. I'm preaching. I'm preaching in Sydney, New York. Isn't that funny? Tomorrow and Tuesday, then Vestal, New York, Wednesday and Thursday. Then I'll come home. But uh, imagine I get my map out, and I start driving, and I, head, and I see a sign that says, Here be dragons. You know, in the old maps, that's what it would say. And you know, so you know what the result of that was? People didn't go there. Right? Now, New York, there's a good chance I might see something like this. a freak show, right? But so now imagine this. I get in this map. My GPS says, I, I program this in, destination, death. You drive here, you're going to die. I've got this Aussie, this Australian guy programmed into my, that does my voice on my GPS. Turn right, mate. <laughs> Imagine if he says, when you get here, prepare to die. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I'm not going. Who's with me? Right? Here the Bible says that people who live for their own belly, who are enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Um, look at the next verse. This is the contrast for our conversation, our life, our interaction. For our conversation is at heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the contrast. You have people who are enemies of Christ, and you have people who are looking for His return. We, Grace Baptist Church, we're, we hope that we're not enemies of Christ. We are folks who love the Lord and we love His appearing and we're looking for His return. Is that right? That's, that's who we are. That's, that's who we want to be. That's, we're, we're, we, we want Jesus Christ to return. Why? Because we love Him. Because He saved us. Look at uh, uh, Romans 16. Romans 16. Look at verse uh, 17. We really are going to go to Luke, but I'll do this first. Romans 16. Look at verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren... Mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. All right, so the Bible is saying, he told the, the, the people in Philippi, so Paul, 
writing by the direction of God, direction of the Holy Spirit, he told the people in Philippi to mark the people that are doing things right. Mark them, notice them, identify them, and follow their example. Here, he's saying there's also another group of people you need to mark. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. Sometimes you'll see the word teaching substituted for doctrine. And, and that's okay, but it, it kind of lacks the weight of the understanding that doctrine is, is you know, teaching. I could say 2 plus 2 equals 4. Right? Unless it's new math. Common core changes that, I think. I'm not sure. Um, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Is that fair? Right? So the, I, I could teach you that, and that's important truth. What's more important? 2 plus 2 equals 4, or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There are lots of people who never learned their, their math well. I've given you the extent of my math knowledge in this sermon. All right? But I get to go to heaven because I know Jesus. So one is doctrine, the other is teaching. Which is more important? Doctrine. That's why the word... The, the, you know the word teaching is in your Bible, and so is the word doctrine. Doctrine, though, is it's weightier. It's God's truth in God's words. So the Bible says here in verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine ye have learned, and avoid them. So if someone comes along and they tell you, look, the only way that you can go to heaven is you've got to be a really good person. What we need to do is we need to mark them and say, look, that person's a false teacher. We need to avoid that teacher. You know why? Because if you have to be a good person to go to heaven, then no one gets to go to heaven. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.10, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So There are no good people. So if a teacher says you've got to be good to go to heaven, then what he has just said is no one can go to heaven. We need to mark that person and avoid them because that teaching, it's very, very destructive. For example, we have several doctors that attend our church. Um, Dr. Rhea is in New York right now. When you pray for his niece, Linda, pray for her at the end of the service. Um, so Dr. Ree comes up, and he is going to teach us something about how to stay alive. All right. One of the doctors that worked on George Washington comes in and says, I think the best way to stay alive is to bleed you. So you're sick. Let's, let's just drain your blood out to get rid of the sickness. Dr. Ree says, no, we're going to give you some antibiotics to help kill whatever this bug is that you've got. Whose advice should we take? Dr. Ree. that fair? Okay, so Amanda, she's pharmacist at CVS. She says, take the antibiotic. Bob Curlis at Medicine Shop says, I've got the little valves to drain the blood. <laughs> this is not helping your business, is it? <laughs> Who are you going to go to? Amanda, these people are going to go to Bob because they just want to see the blood coming out. There's, this is the danger of video games, people. It's a clear choice, right? 
common sense person would say, don't go to Bob. We're going to mark him. He's evil. He'll kill you. Now, for some of you that are a little slower, this is just an illustration. For teaching purposes, don't try this at home. Um, so here, the Bible makes it very clear. Mark the people that do it right and follow them. Mark the people that do it wrong and avoid them. It's pretty good. That's pretty good advice, don't you think? That's pretty good advice. So now we look at the world. It's crazy. If you believe in traditional marriage, then you should not be the CEO of a company. What needs to happen is all the Christians, the 80 million evangelical Christians in the United States, ought to say, fine, Mozilla, you don't want us. You hate us. We won't use your business. How many of you think they'll change their business model? They will, but Christians just take it. We just take it. We stay quiet. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, okay, just let them go to hell. That'll be better. So now, this becomes really important. So you have all this discussion about who Jesus Christ is. You have these movies. The Noah movie just came out. Noah is a radical environmentalist who, you know, is afraid of global warming and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, how a million people have destroyed the planet, which is about the population. It's, it's, it's crazy. You know, this, this thinking, it's crazy. Um, so you have the world that is putting forward this idea of Christianity and the gospel that is completely, completely foreign to Scripture. So what I want us to do is just take a few minutes this morning. We're going to go to Luke 18. And we're going to, you might want to be ready with a pen and write down some cross-references. We're going to look at what does the Bible say about the reason that Jesus Christ came. Why did Jesus Christ come to the earth? Why did he come? How many of you recognize that people have a lot of different ideas about why Jesus came? Well, people are welcome to have their own opinions. You can't have your own facts. Let's look at what the Bible says about why Jesus Christ came. Okay? Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man... Okay, Luke... Did I say Luke 18? It's Luke 19. Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus Christ come? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came because men were lost and were not seeking for God. That's what it says in Romans 3, Romans 10. It says, there's none that seeketh after God. All right? So Jesus Christ came because men were lost. That means they're going to hell. They're separated from God. Jesus came to save them. That's why he came into the world. He, he didn't come to, to elevate humanity. He came to save the lost. Is that, is that clear in the Scriptures? So sometimes you'll hear people... There was even a movie out recently called Saved that mocked Christians and mocked Christians in high school. And it's the idea that if you're a Christian, you're just a weirdo and you're, you're a liar and you're deceptive and all of those things. When we understand that every man is lost, every man needs to be saved, and that's why Jesus Christ came into the world. The Bible makes that very clear declarative statement 
Jesus came looking for sinners. You know, we're not going to take the time to go there, but after the fall in Genesis 3, the Bible says the voice of God came walking in the cool of the day. It said, where art thou, Adam? Now, the voice of God, that's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Jesus Christ, the first time He appears in Scripture, is seeking the lost. That's what Jesus Christ does. He comes and seeks after you, not to judge you, but to save you. Why? Because you're already judged. If you believe, you're saved. If you don't believe, you're condemned already. That's what the Bible says. So you're already judged. He came to save you. You're lost if you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Look at the next passage. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Let's try and build an understanding from Scripture on why Jesus Christ came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then Matthew chapter 5, and look at verse 17. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus came to do something nobody else could do. Look at what it says. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So that jot and tittle, those are the smallest bits of punctuation or the smallest part of a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. What Jesus said, it's not going to pass away. It's not going to pass away. Jesus said, I came to fulfill it. Very important. Then look at what the Bible says. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so notice this becomes really important. If you break the smallest part of the law, you're the least. Right? In another passage, it says, if you break one point, you're guilty of it all. Right? And so here, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to keep it all. So who's going to be great in the kingdom? Jesus. He's it. The only one. The rest of us are the least. Is that right? See, what Jesus did was Jesus came to do something that no one else could do. Jesus kept every bit of the law. He didn't come to be a moral guide. He didn't come to be a good teacher. He came to be the Savior of the world by doing what no one else could do, which was live a completely sinless life. What is sin? The Bible says in the book of 1 John that sin is any transgression of the law. Break it. In the smallest point, you're a sinner. Jesus Christ came and did no sin, the Bible says. He was completely sinless. Jesus Christ came to do what no one else could do. He fulfilled every point of the law. So now when somebody tells you, you've got to be good to go to heaven, well, then why did Jesus Christ come? He didn't need to come. He came because no one else could do it. Jesus Christ did it. Jesus Christ came because men were lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then He came to do what no one else could do. This is really important on this point. Jesus did not come to be one of many options. There are many, there are many ways to heaven. No. Jesus Christ said there's one way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way for an individual to go to heaven. 
Now, there are a lot of churches who say they believe that. But then they're going to say, yes, that one way is Jesus, but Jesus says that you have to be baptized. Jesus says you have to give money to the church. Jesus says you have to be a good person. Jesus says you have to take communion. Jesus says you No, 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 no. What the Apostle Paul wrote was, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's it. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible makes it very clear. The gospel, the good news of salvation, the word from the Lord for eternal life is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose from the dead the third day, according to the Scriptures. That is the gospel. If you add something to that, it's no longer the gospel. If you take something away from it, it's no longer the gospel. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, and Jesus Christ came to do what no one else could do, to be the perfect and sinless sacrifice for all man, for every man. Wow. Look at uh, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Verse 33. This is Jesus Christ before Pilate. Um, I saw on the news the other day that Jesus Christ superstar is making a comeback and they're performing to stadiums all over the country. And it's just a mockery of who Jesus Christ is. It's a blasphemous presentation of who Jesus Christ is. The Jesus of Jesus Christ Superstar is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. His interaction with Pilate is not the interaction of Scripture. So here is Jesus Christ before Pilate. Look what the Bible says in verse 33. John chapter 18 and verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it, uh, t- tell it thee of me? I want you to notice something very important. We're going to see this again in a little while. Uh, Jesus is not really that interested in the opinion of people. He wants to know what you think. Pilate, are you saying this of yourself, or did someone else tell you to say it? Do you see that? All right. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Someone will tell you, you know, uh, Pastor, people are saying, really what people? Who are they? Well, they say, who's they? The ubiquitous they. Who's they? That's important, isn't it? You know, your kids say, well, everybody at school is doing this, and you find out it's just some loser. Right? You know, what a parent say, well, if he wants to jump off a building, are you going to do it? You know, what are your kids going to say? Yeah, I want to be cool too. Cool and dead. All right, so... Verse 34 again, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, Now look at this. He has asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Look at what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. See, remember what the Jews thought. The the Jews thought the Messiah was going to come and start and, and rule and reign an earthly kingdom. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's not what the Jewish leaders wanted. Do you see that? 
So now Jesus answers him. Verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. And you remember the answer of Pilate? What is truth? What is truth? Jesus Christ is the truth. He had already told them that in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ did not come to be a king. Jesus Christ came to be Savior. He is coming back to be king. Is that right? But he came to be the Savior. And what the Bible says here, the third reason that we have that Jesus Christ came was to bear witness to the truth, to testify of the truth, to present an absolute standard of the truth. What is this about? God does not want us to be confused. He does not want us to live in a state of confusion. He wants us to know what the truth is, to be able to discern truth from error, and the best way to do that is to have an absolute standard. If I said, if I had these five scholars here, okay, how wide is this room? Well, they're going to gauge it, and they're going to, somebody will say, I don't know. And someone will say, oh, it's 20 feet. Somebody will say, it's oh, it's 30 feet. And they're going to guess it. Now, some of you, I saw Brother Ferrier. He's counting the tiles. He's going to figure this out. How many of you are already doing that, right? I know. This is 23 feet, 2 feet. No, that's good. That's wisdom. None of these guys were looking up. They weren't doing it. <laughs> All right? So now, what if my standard was Isaiah? And Isaiah said, oh, it's 18 feet. Well, now I'm going to build the building based on this being 18 feet. How many of you think that might be a problem? What's the problem? My standard's wrong. If the standard is subjective, if these five guys all have their own idea about what the measurement is, and they're all working on a different part of the building, does that sound kind of like government? <laughs> all right? So what's our problem? We don't have a standard. So what do we do? We get a tape measure, and we measure it. We have a standard. That standard will be the, the, the tape measure. And here in the United States, we still use inches. Right? And so we're going to measure it based on inches or feet or whatever. And we're going to know an exact measurement. Why? Because we're going to have a standard. The problem with the world right now is everyone says, well, I think, I think, you know, someone will say, I think that I ought to be able to kill a baby because the baby's inconvenient. How many of you know people believe that? Well, what if I think I ought to be able to kill the person saying that because they're inconveniencing me? Now, if you're a guest with us, I really don't want to kill those people. It's the same reasoning, though, isn't it? What's the difference? See, the issue is I'm the standard. My convenience or inconvenience is the standard. How many of you have ever been on the road and someone was being inconvenient? <laughs> right? And you, you just wish that you had the James Bond button to push and the missile launcher comes up and I'm free and clear to drive the way that I want to now. 
See, I really think that ought to be allowed until I'm the inconvenient one and the person behind me has the button. (laughs) Now all of a sudden the standard has changed. What Jesus Christ did was Jesus Christ came to establish the perfect standard of righteousness. He lived it and then He left us His Word so that we can have the standard of the truth. There should not be confusion. Y'all have heard me say it before, those bracelets say, what would Jesus do? No, that's the wrong question. The question should be, what did Jesus do when He was here on earth doing things? It's just a very large bracelet or small letters. Now, it's not something that we have to imagine. I don't think Jesus would do that. Well, what did He say? What did he tell us he would do? How did he behave? We don't have to imagine or guess. So when the world puts a Jesus out there that is completely different than the Jesus of the Bible, where they say that Jesus came to cure all of the social injustice in the world, really? He died on the cross by an unjust Roman government and an unjust Sanhedrin from the Jewish leaders. Was the Sanhedrin still there and the Roman government still there after his crucifixion? Yes. That is not why Jesus Christ came. You see, he came to establish an absolute standard of truth. And it's not subjective. It's an absolute standard that is objective. That is that it's outside of us. Oh, I wrote this down. Jesus did not come so people could be sincere. You know, there are a lot of people who are sincerely wrong. They're very sincere. They're just wrong. And their sincerity has nothing to do with whether or not their opinion is right. There are people who sincerely believe that it's a benefit to kill babies. Yet there's a nation. It's called China. Is that right? And we live in a culture, though, to where if you believe what I believe, well, you're just extreme. You're extreme. Okay, okay, let's get this right. I want to save babies. You want to kill babies, and I'm extreme. I think the standard has changed. That's just one illustration. We could could come up with many. I love this. This is one of my favorites. All right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to borrow money to get out of debt. (laughs) How many of you think that's going to work? No. It's not going to work. What's happened? The standard of reality has changed. Jesus Christ came to give us truth. He established truth. So, He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to do something nobody else could do, and He came to establish truth. Look at John chapter 15. Don't worry, there's only like six more of these. Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse 22. John 15. John 15, and verse 22. Aren't you glad I'm not the standard? Look at John 15 and verse 22. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sin. Isn't that interesting? Look at verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Jesus is saying they don't know his Father. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had, they, uh, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. 
Verse 23, He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Jesus Christ came to be hated. He came to be hated. What did He do? He said, before that they saw me, they didn't have sin. But when I, the perfect standard of righteousness and holiness, when I appear, now all of a sudden they don't have a cloak for their sin. They can't cover their sin anymore because it's obvious. I'll give you an example of this that will help you understand it. You go to work, you get a new job, you young people, you go to school, you have friends, and you start, and, and you know, you're a good worker, you're a good guy, they like you, and so they say, hey, we're going out after work, we're going to go to the bar, we're going to get a drink, why don't you come? And you say, no, no, I better not do that. And so they say, okay. And they keep asking you. Say, why won't you come out to drink with us? Well, I'm a Christian. I don't drink. Well, la-dee-da. Look at him. Look at who he thinks we're better. He thinks he's better than us. And here's a couple of things that will happen. Some of the people will do everything they can to get you to defile your witness. Is that right? And others will hate you because they're Christians who don't live like it. Anybody here ever experienced something like that? A bunch of us. A bunch of us. When, the, when a standard of righteousness comes in that's higher than my standard, well, now I look bad. And I'm under conviction. And you've got two choices. Repent or hate. When they came and they saw Jesus Christ, they had two choices, call Him Lord or hate Him. And what did they do? They hated Him. They hated Him. Jesus Christ came to be the standard of righteousness. If, if, the, if the Lord of the Bible was put on the little drummer boy, it wouldn't be a Christmas favorite. Jesus Christ came to show the world their sin and to tell them, without me, you're going to hell. You need me. You need to be saved. Well, that's, that's awfully intolerant. Is it intolerant if it's true? No. It's just true. And so what happens is the world hates him. The world hates him. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> I guess we'll go to verse 10, Matthew 9, verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans, those are tax collectors, many publicans and sinners, came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole, remember whole, what is that? Somebody who keeps the whole law. There's nobody like that, right? He said, when they heard it, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth, and I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, He came to call sinners. But there are no righteous, so He came to call every man to repent. Uh, you can keep your place in Matthew, but go to uh, Acts chapter 17. 
Acts 17. Look at verse 30. So he has just talked about people worshiping God through gold or silver or those types of things. And he says this in verse 30, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. So he has allowed it to happen, but look at what he says. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So here's what Paul is saying, that God now is telling every man everywhere to repent. Why? Because there's a day of judgment that's coming, and it's Jesus Christ who is going to be the judge. Here... In his first coming, in Matthew chapter 9, the Bible is telling us that he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What does that mean? That means you have two options. When Jesus Christ comes, when Jesus Christ came, he's offering you the gift of eternal life right now through me. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're ambassadors. I'm speaking for Jesus right now as I speak his word. Is that right? You'll follow that? I'm not Jesus, I'm not a prophet, I don't have visions, I'm just doing what the Bible commands, all right? So now I'm telling you the truth, in the, I'm telling you the truth from the Word of God that you need to repent. What does that mean? To change your mind about your sin, that your sin is bad enough to take you to hell, to repent of that, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your only Savior, your only hope for eternal life, and to receive His free gift of eternal life, asking Him to save you. That's your option. Your other option is to go to hell. Those are your only two options. Why? He didn't come for the righteous because there aren't any. There's none righteous. No, not one. He came for sinners. He came for you. He came for me. That's why He came. He didn't come to be a model. He came to save you. That can only happen if you will repent. The message of this verse is you're not okay. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. Look at uh, John chapter 10. Verse 10. I love this. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, the Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 2, uh, 2, 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You're dead. You're dead. Jesus Christ came to give life. He came to give life. And this is life eternal, Jesus said, that they might know you, the only true God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's life. That's what life is. How many of you would like to have eternal life? That only comes through Jesus Christ. That's it. How many of you have eternal life? Amen. Amen. How do you get it? It's a gift. You can't do anything to earn it. It's a gift given to you by Jesus Christ. It's why he came. And not only did he come to give you eternal life, he came, he gave you life, he came to give you life more abundantly. Can I tell you something? Marriage is better with Jesus. Amen. Your job is better with Jesus. Raising your kids is better with Jesus. Suffering is better with Jesus. Losing loved ones is better with Jesus. 
it's all better with Jesus. To give you life more abundantly. I gotta, can I just testify for a minute? We have a great life. Laura and I, the kids, we have a great life. I get to drive to New York today. We have a great life. I'm going to fly to Argentina at the end of the month. We have a great life. Why? Because I get to drive to New York? and No, because I get to preach God's Word. I get to tell people about the Lord. I get to teach God's Word all over. I get to send books all over the world. What a great life it is. I want you all to understand something. I doubt Laura and I would still be married if it wasn't for Jesus. This may surprise you. I'm not the easiest person in the world to live with. (laughs) How has this thing worked? How has this worked? The Lord. The Lord. I I have a genuine heart to serve the Lord. Genuine genuine here. (laughs) Laura has a genuine heart to serve the Lord and to submit to Him. I have a genuine heart to serve the Lord and submit to Him. So what that means is the things that that make us crazy about each other or the hard times that come along, those get put under what God has called us to do. And what happens is when God is bigger, the problem is smaller. When the problem is smaller, now it can be solved. When the problem is the biggest, I just can't live with that anymore. I just can't take this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. Well, you can if Jesus Christ is your head. See, everything is better with Jesus. Everything is better. How many of you have lost a loved one? You've lost a loved one? I can't imagine doing that without the Lord. I, I, just, I just can't imagine. He came to give us life and give it more abundantly. Look at chapter 12, John 12, verse 27. The Bible says, Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus again. And now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So this is Jesus Christ. He's saying, what what can I say to the Father? Save me from this hour? This is the reason I came into the world. And what is the hour he's talking about? The hour of his death. The hour when the sin of all mankind, the sin of every man who has ever lived, and the sin of every man who would ever live, live, would all be placed on him on the cross. That's why he came. That's why he came, to die in my place. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Why did he come? 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. This is such an interesting verse. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. All right, so everybody needs to accept this statement. It's faithful, it's true. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that a great statement? That's why He came. But now here's the important part for our message. Look at what He says. Of whom I am chief. You see, at some point, the acknowledgement that Christ came to save sinners 
needs to become personal. Man, I'm so glad Jesus Christ came. How many of you are glad Jesus Christ came to save sinners? How many of you are glad He came to save you? Jesus Christ came to save me. See, there's a difference between a general understanding of a truth and then acknowledging it. Perfect example of this. How many of you know that you're supposed to exercise and eat right? How many of you know that? I see that we all know that. I don't think all of us have accepted it. Preacher, you've gone to meddling now. It's true, isn't it? There's a difference between knowing something and internalizing something, personalizing something, applying it to your life. This is for the person with your socks on. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you think Paul was the worst person to ever live? He's a pretty bad guy. He's not the worst person to ever live. But you have to understand that you're a sinner deserving of hell. I'm the chief of sinners. Jesus Christ came to save me. What grace. What an amazing story. Praise the Lord. Now, here's our last passage. Look at uh, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 32. So Jesus Christ, walking up to Jerusalem with His disciples, and they were in the way, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed... And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him and the third day he shall rise again. Jesus is telling them that. They're amazed and they're afraid. Don't you think the disciples should have understood this by now? But they didn't. It was hidden from them. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And this is the reason this is the last point today. Okay? Let me get all of your attention. Everybody look up here at me for a minute. The reason this is my last point today is this. How many of you know Jesus Christ came into the world? How many of you know that? Do you know that most of the world knows he came into the world, but they don't know why? These men knew He had come into the world, but they didn't know why. Our job is to tell the world why He came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So here, just two questions for you today. Number one, have you internalized that? Have you personalized that? Have you acknowledged that He's the Savior, that you're a sinner, and without Him there's no hope for eternal life? Have you come to Him to be saved? Have you, have you been born again? That's the first question. If you haven't, get saved today. Go home today, a child of God. That would be fantastic. Who here has already done that? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You've, you've asked Christ to save you. All right? Praise the Lord. If you haven't done that, do it today. Today is the day of repentance. Today God is calling every man everywhere to repent. Get saved today. Second thing, second point of this message. Everybody knows Jesus came, but they don't know why. Our job is to tell them why. Amen? How many of you know somebody that you need to tell why? Yeah. We've got to tell them. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word.